This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life with the Birches, call 224 Nine one one one. Well, happy Independence Week to everyone. We trust that your July 4th celebrations were safe, happy, filled with fireworks, and my favorite food, hot dogs. Um, independence. Independence and celebrating the independence of this great nation, which was founded on the credo that all men are created equal, of course, at the time. Men meant something very different than it means today. Today, the dream of America is that all persons are created equal, whether they are black, white, red, green, blue, transgender, gay, queer, lesbian, white, red, you name it. Uh, we're all uh, supposed to be on equal footing in this country. But sadly, this Independence Week, I've been thinking about racism in America. I am a product of white privilege, although I'm Jewish. I was born and brought up in New York City and went uh, to a private school there, which uh, was basically um, pretty much all white until about 1964, when with a program called ABC, A Better Chance, uh, a number of African-Americans came to the school on scholarships. Our view of race uh, changed. Um, and um, in a progressive approach uh, to um, racial equality and diversity in my little exclusive private school, uh, things got better. And some of my fellow students have gone on to uh, serve uh, in public office, and others have gone on to distinguished careers. We got together recently at a, a reunion, and, um, you know, life has changed since we graduated in 1968, although 1968 was a challenging year. That was the year Martin Luther King was shot. That was the year Bobby Kennedy was shot. Um, on the day I graduated from high school, Bobby Kennedy uh, died and with it, um, I think a dream of uh, progressive America that uh, took a long time to come. And in, then in 2008, when I had finished serving my first term in Congress, um, Barack Obama was elected president. And many people thought that racism in America had been conquered. And uh, Many people thought that this meant a new era for relations 
uh, among the races when uh, this country was built on a foundation, unfortunately, of slavery and racism, and the lingering issues have plagued us terribly as a nation. It's a stain on our history, and it continues uh, to this day. Um, Black Lives Matter um, is an important movement because black lives do matter, and um, uh, those of us who've benefited from white privilege can hardly understand um, what it means to grow up black in America. And now, then we had the election of Donald Trump, and those of my listeners who listen frequently know that I'm no fan of Donald Trump. Uh, use him as a source of humor, but really it's a tragedy for America that he is our president because under Donald Trump, um, uh, relations between the races um, have gotten a lot worse. And in fact, I just read in the Concord Monitor, uh, which I'm looking at the other day, on Wednesday, July 4th, Independence Day, the Trump administration announced Tuesday that it would not encourage schools to use race as a factor in the admission process, rescinding Obama-era guidance meant to promote diversity among students. The shift gives schools and colleges the federal government's blessing to leave race out of admissions and enrollment decisions and underscores the contentious policies that for decades have surrounded affirmative action policies which have repeatedly been challenged before the Supreme Court. The Obama administration uh, had encouraged schools to take race into account, um, and those, were, um, uh, those policies were among 24 revoked by the Justice Department for being unnecessary, outdated, inconsistent with existing law, or, the, or otherwise improper. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the changes as an effort to restore, quote, the rule of law, unquote. Well, the rule of law has too often meant the rule of white supremacy. Um, the action comes amid a high-profile fight over Harvard University's admissions. Uh, we've had Justice Kennedy uh, resigning from the Supreme Court and expect a contentious battle over his successor, whose views on both women's reproductive rights and race uh, will be a major factor in considering uh, the appointment. And the new Trump policy dramatically departs from the stance of the Obama administration, which on multiple occasions said schools could consider race in admission decisions and should do so to foster diversity. Fostering diversity is important because it's clear in the way that people act and in what we believe that this nation has not come all the way we need to come in recognizing the power and importance of diversity because, frankly, it is the very diversity of America, the ability to accept and assimilate in some way all races, creeds, and colors that has made America a unique nation among nations, the contributions of those persons of color, of those persons of different sexual orientation, of those persons from diverse backgrounds is what makes America America. In fact, it is the very defining characteristic of America. And to have a racist president and a racist administration, uh, which is trying to take us backwards, does no great service to this nation or its people or to the world. And lest you think I'm being harsh in 
calling Donald Trump and his administration a racist. A recent poll came out which showed that nearly half of voters think President Donald Trump is a racist. That was a Quinnipiac University poll released the same day as the Trump policy trying to strike at the heart of diversity in our colleges and universities. Um, 44% of voters think that racist beliefs were a motive in Trump's immigration policy. Um, 60% uh, said the Trump policy of separating children from their parents was a violation of human rights. Um, Since enacting the policy, Trump and his associates have repeatedly pushed false, racist narratives to garner support, often associating immigration with high crime rates, despite no evidence whatsoever that supports claims that immigrants commit more crimes than U.S. citizens. How many times have we heard Donald Trump talking about MS-13 in connection with immigration uh, as a way to create a separation between Americans and those who want to be Americans. Now, I'm not saying that illegal immigration isn't a problem that we need to address, but coming at it from a complete racist attitude is what the Trump administration has done. And what has happened as a result is that hate crimes under Donald Trump, uh, the number of hate crimes in the year he was elected and up into 2017 have increased by a staggering amount. Remember, this is the president who denied being a racist despite making numerous racist comments, including blaming, quote, many sides for violence in at the rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, in which white supremacists clashed with counter-protesters and one woman was killed. He waged a battle against athletes who refused to stand for the national anthem in protest of police brutality and racial inequality, going so far as to label one athlete a son of a blank, um, uh, using coarse and vulgar language. And it's not just um, uh, hate crimes uh, against African Americans, uh, but hate crimes have spiked Uh, directed at Muslims, study in 2016 showing a spike of 6% in hate crimes all over the country with a rise of 89.2% in hate crimes directed toward Muslims. Trump's latest is ban everybody from Yemen, a war-torn country which has been torn apart um, by uh, uh, Saudi-American airstrikes, American intervention, um, and uh, now he wants to ban Um, people from Yemen coming in. Um, This is no accident. Trump is a racist. In uh, 2016 uh, and 17, hate crimes in nine U.S. metropolitan areas rose more than 20 percent, reversing a downward trend in the last few years, fueled in part by the presidential campaign and the presidency of Donald Trump. These hate crimes included bomb threats to mosques, desecration of Jewish cemeteries. New York reported the greatest number of hate crimes, uh, while Washington, D.C. had the largest percentage rise at 62%. 
Overall, uh, there are reports of a 23.3% increase from the previous year in nine urban areas. Bias crimes against Muslims, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, African Americans accounted for much of the growth in hate crimes that were reported. And noted researchers believe that Trump's campaign and his presidency, which highlight issues such as race, religion, and national origin have influenced the rise in the number of hate crimes. Uh, It's a problem. It's a deep problem. It's a problem that we as a nation have been loath to confront. Here in New Hampshire, um, there aren't all that many people of color, although we've seen uh, new waves of uh, immigrants and uh, Uh, English is a second language speaker uh, in our urban areas, both in Manchester and in Concord. Some people, like my dear wife Pego, for instance, who leads the Songweavers, have taken an affirmative approach to including new immigrants in their activities. Um, This year, the Songweavers had a number of new Americans from a number of different nations in Africa who brought their music and their songs to Songweaver uh, as a first step towards helping to integrate uh, new Americans into uh, our culture in a positive way. As a second-generation child of immigrants myself, my grandpa Sam fled the programs Uh, in Russia and the Ukraine in the early 1900s. My grandma Rose came from Hungary where she lived on a farm riding pigs. Uh, On my father's side, my uh, great-grandpa came from the Austrian-Hungarian area, came in 1888. Um, The uh, nation that accepted and welcomed immigrants, the nation that has been thought of as a melting pot, the nation whose credo is all men are created equal, has a long way to go in recognizing that diversity strengthens us all, that diversity is the calling card for America, that tolerance, acceptance um, is the way of America, that Donald Trump and General Sessions, quote, rule of law means to them rule of white law. And that's not the way we ought to do things in this great nation, especially during Independence Week. This is Paul Hodes on Off the Record on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life with the Birches. Call 224-9111. Folks, thanks for listening, and don't go away. We'll be back after a few brief messages and an interlude uh, to talk with Rob Werner, the... Uh, executive director of the League of Conservation Voters here in New Hampshire to talk about our environment, environmental policy, uh, and what we need to know about why things are getting so hot. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back with a special tribute to Donald Hall, poet laureate of the rural life, who died recently at the age of 89. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224 9111. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Usually I bring in a guest to talk and listen mostly to what that guest has to say. And I think given the recent passing of Donald Hall, the great American poet, the New Hampshire poet, a quintessential New Hampshire poet and the tradition, some believe, of Robert Frost. I wanted to do a special tribute to Donald Hall. Uh, He died at the age of 89. Uh, The New York Times uh, published an extensive editorial, which is worth, worth repeating and worth hearing. And then, assuming we have the time, which I think we will, I'm going to read a little of Donald Hall's poetry, and we'll see how far we get Uh, in the next uh, piece from Off the Record. So the Times wrote at the end of June that Donald Hall, a former poet laureate of the United States who found a universe of meaning in the apples, ox carts, and ordinary folk of his beloved rural New England, died on Saturday at his home in Wilmot, New Hampshire. He was 89. His death was announced by his literary agent, Wendy Strothman, He'd overcome cancer, first diagnosed in 1989, beating the very odds of survival that he'd given himself years ago. Donald Hall was one of the leading poets of his generation, frequently mentioned in the company of Robert Bly, James Wright, and Galway Kinnell. In evoking a bucolic New England past and expressing a deep veneration of nature, he used simple and direct language, though often to surreal effect. Hall has long been placed in the Frostian tradition, of the plain-spoken rural poet Billy Collins, another American poet laureate, wrote in the Washington Post in April 2006, two months before Mr. Hall himself was given the post. Since 1975, Mr. Hall has lived on a New Hampshire farm that had been in his family for generations. Growing up in suburban Hamden, Connecticut, he'd spent his childhood summers at the homestead and written his first poems there, and he described his return as both a homecoming and a, quote, coming home to the place of language, unquote. Mr. Hall's poems often evoke not only place, but also an almost geologic sense of time. In Names of Horses, he writes, For a hundred and fifty years in the pasture of dead horses, Roots of pine trees pushed through the pale curves of your ribs. Yellow blossoms flourished above you in autumn and in winter. Frost upheaved your bones in the ground, old toilers, soil makers. He was a staggeringly prolific writer who chose freelance work over teaching, a decision, as Mr. Collins put it, to detach himself from academic life with its slow but steady intravenous drip of a salary. 
Mr. Hall was a memorist, an essayist, the author of textbooks and children's books, a lifelong Boston Red Sox fan. He wrote two books about baseball, including Doc Ellis in the Country of Baseball in 1976, a lyrical portrait of both the game and the subject that was written with Mr. Ellis, a flamboyant former pitcher for the Pirates and Yankees. In the country of baseball, Mr. Hall wrote, time is the air we breathe and the wind swirls us backward and forward until we seem so reckoned in time and seasons that all time and all seasons become the same. For 23 years, Donald Hall was married to the poet Jane Kenyon, who died in 1995, and he paid moving tribute to her and their marriage in the collections Without in 1998 and The Painted Bed in 2002. But the bulk of his poetry over a 60-year career, emphasizes the cycle of life as it plays out in the natural world and those who live in it, though often in a way with which urban readers could identify. In his 1977 poem, Oxcart Man, an ode to persistence and practicality, uh, Mr. Hall describes how a farmer loads his potatoes into a cart and walks beside his ox to market, where he sells the potatoes. The poem goes like this. When the cart is empty, he sells the cart. When the cart is sold, he sells the ox, harness and yoke, and walks home. His pockets heavy with the year's coin for salt and taxes, and at home by fire's light in November cold, stitches new harness for next year's ox in the barn, and carves the yoke and saws planks, building the cart again. Mr. Hall came of age as a poet in the late 1940s and early 50s when the dominant poetic trend was toward a combination of formal structures and a sophisticated yet conversational style. Its leading proponent was W.H. Auden, who had come to the United States in 1939, was naturalized in 1946, and whose influence on his American contemporaries, as well as the younger poets of his day, like Mr. Hall, was incalculable. Mr. Hall's first collection, the tightly structured Exiles and Marriages, in 1955, is grounded in strict rhymes and meters. As he assembled the book, though, he also took up arms as an editor in the so-called War of the Anthologies, in which two influential poetry compilations were at total odds with each other. Donald Hall's anthology, The New Poets of England and America, in 1957, edited with the poets Robert Pack and Lewis Simpson, solidified in further the Audnesque mode. It embodies the best of the academic poets, so-called because many of them held teaching positions at colleges and universities, but more important because of the button-down formalism of their verse. The work of the academics, among them Anthony Hecht, John Hollander, Donald Justice, May Swenson, Richard Wilbur varies greatly, but it shares an allegiance to the standards of the traditional well-made poem as championed by T.S. Eliot and John Crow Ransom. Across the Divide was a second anthology published three years later, Donald Allen's The New American Poetry, 1945-1960, to showcasing experimental and avant-garde poets like John Ashbery, Robert Creeley, Allen Ginsberg, and Amiri Baraka, formerly known as Leroy Jones. Each of these radically different books pretended, as their titles suggest, to speak for an entire generation. Notably, neither shared a single poet, and the chasm between them has defined the dominant schools of American poetry ever since. Mr. Hall met Ms. Kenyon while teaching at the University of Michigan, and they married in 1972. Three years later, they moved to Eagle Pond Farm, his grandparents' former home in Wilmot in south-central New Hampshire. 
The house was built in 1803 and bought in 1865 by Don Hall's great-grandfather, and Mr. Hall continued to write there in the same first-floor room in which he slept and first began writing poems as a boy. Mr. Hall and Ms. Kenyon were profiled and interviewed at the house by Bill Moyers in an Emmy Award-winning PBS documentary, Donald Hall and Jane Kenyon, Life Together, was broadcast in 1993. By then, Don Hall was being treated for cancer. It had been discovered in his colon in 1989, and by 92, it had spread to his liver. At the time of the documentary, the cancer had gone into remission, but Mr. Hall was fatalistic in the film, saying the odds were against his living another 10 years. A year later, in 1994, Ms. Kenyon learned she had leukemia. Mr. Hall made her illness and death at 47 the subject of Without, a collection of poems published in 1998. The second volume dedicated to Ms. Kenyon, The Painted Bed, appeared in 2002. In Last Days, a poem in Without, Mr. Hall describes how he and Ms. Kenyon chose the poems for Otherwise, her posthumous collection. Then he, he wrote, he saw how weak she felt and said, maybe not now, maybe later. Jane shook her head. Now, she said, we have to finish it now. Later, as she slid exhausted into sleep, she said, wasn't that fun to work together? Wasn't that fun? Donald Hall, Jr. was born on September 20th, 1928 in New Haven. The only child of Donald and Lucy Wells Hall, Mr. Hall wrote in his memoir on packing the boxes that his father had been desperately unhappy in the family dairy business and had insisted that his own son follow his own desires. Thus he wrote, at 14, I decided to spend my life writing poetry. His talent was soon recognized, and at 16, he was accepted to pursue poetry at the Breadloaf Writers' Conference in Vermont while attending Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire. Afterward, he enrolled at Harvard, where he earned a bachelor's degree in 1951, graduating magna cum laude. In 1983, Poetry and Ambition, Mr. Hall began it by saying, I see no reason to spend your life writing poems unless your goal is to write great poems. He went on to assail much of the poetry world, finding mediocrity, mediocrity there, or what he calls the Mick poem. He said, we write and publish the Mick poem, 10 billion served, which becomes our contribution to the history of literature. And every year, Mr. Hall wrote, Ronald McDonald takes the Pulitzer. Mr. Hall never did win that prize, though he was finalist for it in 1989 for the book-length poem, The One Day, which received the National Book Critic Circle Award. Mr. Hall's poetic ambition can be seen in his diligent revisions. Even after his reputation had been thoroughly established, he'd send a manuscript to ten other poets and then rework it according to their suggestions. Robert Bly said that he and Mr. Hall observed the 48-hour rule. If one sent a poem, the other would have to write back within 48 hours. In addition to his selected poems, Mr. Hall's notable collections include Exiles and Marriages, 1955, which earned the Academy of American Poets Lamont Poetry Selection, and The Happy Man in 1986, winner of the Lenore Marshall Poetry Prize. He also wrote a critical biography of the sculptor Henry Moore and a study of the poet Marion Moore. Of his many children's books, Oxcart Man, 1979, illustrated by Barbara Cooney, won the prestigious Caldecott Medal. 
He was also the author of short stories, plays, and memoirs, including The Best Day, The Worst Day, Life with Jane Kenyon, Their Ancient Glittering Eyes, and Life Work, served as poetry editor of the Paris Review from 1953 to 1962. Baseball remained a passion. In an introduction to an anthology edited by Peter H. Gordon, Diamonds Are Forever, Mr. Hall wrote, It is by baseball and not by other American sports that our memories bronze themselves. By baseball we join hands with the long line of forefathers and with the dead. His other honors included two Guggenheim Fellowships, the Poetry Society of America's Robert Frost Silver Medal and the Ruth Lilly Prize for Poetry. He was the United States Poet Laureate for 2006 and 7. In 2011, he received a National Medal of Arts from President Barack Obama in a White House ceremony. It is the highest award given to artists and arts patrons by the United States government. I'm proud to intrude and say that as a member of the National Council on the Arts, I voted for that National Arts Medal, and uh, I was very pleased to see that Donald Hall, who loved Barack Obama, was presented that medal by the president. Mr. Hall's first marriage to the former Kirby Thompson ended in divorce in 1969. His survivors include two children from that marriage, Philippa Smith and Andrew Hall, five grandchildren, one great-grandchild. Mr. Hall confronted mortality in both prose and poetry. In the memoir Life Work, he wrote with urgency and passion about his surgery for liver cancer and how the words life and work, and love had become interchangeable in his mind. And in an affirmation, the final poem in The Painted Bed, his collection dedicated to Mr. Ms. Kenyon, Mr. Hall catalogs life's insults, yet concludes, if a new love carries us past middle age, our wife will die at her strongest and most beautiful. New women come and go, all go. The pretty lover who announces that she is temporary is temporary. The bold woman, middle-aged against our old age, sinks under an anxiety she cannot withstand. Another friend of decades estranges himself in words that pollute thirty years. Let us stifle under mud at the pond's edge and affirm that it is fitting and delicious to lose everything. So this is a special tribute to New Hampshire poet, poet of the nation, the great Donald Hall. This is Paul Hodes on Off the Record on WKXL, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with more of this special edition of Off the Record. I'm going to read some poems by Donald Hall, the great American voice. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com through streaming technology, and we're archived there where you can binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of memory impairment. I'm calling this a special edition of Off the Record because I'm paying tribute to the great American and New Hampshire poet Donald Hall, who lived in Wilmot, New Hampshire. 
um, on a farm that his family had owned and farmed. He wrote poems in the same room he had grown up in as, as a little boy. Um, I met Donald Hall on a number of occasions. I was a big fan. I'm happy to say that he told me at one point that he was a big fan of mine, at least in my political career, and he had had the pleasure of voting for me. Uh, he was a big fan of Barack Obama's and was very proud to receive the National Medal uh, of the Arts uh, from Barack Obama in a White House ceremony in 2011. And uh, I was pleased to be serving on the National Council on the Arts at the time uh, that uh, medal uh, was voted on. That's one of the jobs of the National Councilor on, on the Arts. It was... Um, it was, a, it was a great thing, and he was justifiably proud of receiving that medal. He was the United States Poet Laureate from 2006 to 2007, and he had an amazing, amazing career and, and volumes and volumes of poetry. And I'm going to read some. I have a, a, a wonderful book of his poems uh, that uh, take us from the early days of, two thousand, of uh, 1946 all the way through uh, 2006. Uh, some short, uh, some humorous, some longer. And I'm just, uh, you can open this book almost anywhere and find great poems. So um, I think I'll start with a poem called Waters. A rock drops in a bucket, quick, fierce. Waves exhaust themselves against the tin circle. A rock in a pool, a fast splash, and ripples move out, interrupted by weeds. The lake, enormous and calm, a stone falls. For an hour, the surface moves, holding to itself the frail shutters of its skin. Stones on the dark bottom make the lake calm, the life worth living. Here's another one about stones. This one takes us from lakes to sea. It's called Stones. Now it is gone, all of it. No, it is there, a rock island 12 miles offshore in the Atlantic, straight cliffs, salt grass on top, rabbits, snipe. At lowest tide, a scrap of sand Maybe once a year the sea is so calm that an island man breaches his coracle, wedges the anchor in stone, and rock climbs to the top. He traps small game, listening to the wind, fearful of Skull Island. Monks in the Middle Ages lived in a stone house here whole lives. Such evocative language from Donald Hall about such simple, simple, natural, natural things. So there's a, a great long poem, longer poem in here called Kicking the Leaves from his days uh, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think he was still working then as a professor before he decided to leave academia behind him, um, the uh, drip of the salary, 
never fascinated Donald Hall. He was too much of an iconoclast, I guess. Uh, this well-known, famous poem is called Kicking the Leaves. Kicking the Leaves, October, as we walk home together from the game in Ann Arbor on a day the color of soot, rain in the air. I kick at the leaves of maples, reds of 70 different shades, yellow like old paper, and poplar leaves fragile and pale, and elm leaves flags of a doomed race. I kick at the leaves, making a sound I remember as the leaves swirl upward from my boot and flutter, and I remember Octobers walking to school in Connecticut, wearing corduroy knickers that swished with a sound like leaves, and a Sunday buying a cup of cider at a roadside stand on a dirt road in New Hampshire and kicking the leaves. Autumn 1955 in Massachusetts, knowing my father would die when the leaves were gone. Each fall in New Hampshire on the farm where my mother grew up, a girl in the country, my grandfather and grandmother finished the autumn work, taking the last vegetables in from the cold fields, canning, storing roots and apples in the cellar under the kitchen. Then my grandfather raked leaves against the house as the final chore of autumn. One November, I drove up from college to see them. We pulled big rakes, as we did when we hayed in summer, pulling the leaves against the granite foundations around the house on every side of the house. And then, to keep them in place, we cut spruce boughs and laid them across the leaves, green on red until the house was tucked up ready for snow, that would freeze the leaves in tight like a stiff skirt. Then we puffed through the shed door, taking off boots and overcoats, slapping our hands and sat in the kitchen, rocking and drank black coffee my grandmother made, three of us sitting together, silent in gray November. One Saturday, when I was little, before the war, my father came home at noon from his half day at the office and wore his Bates sweater, black on red, with the crossed hockey sticks on it, and raked beside me in the backyard and tumbled in the leaves with me laughing and carried me laughing, my hair full of leaves to the kitchen window, where my mother could see us and smile and motion to set me down, afraid I would fall and be hurt. Kicking the leaves today as we walk home together from the game among crowds of people with their bright pennants, as many and bright as leaves. My daughter's hair is the red-yellow color of birch leaves, and she is tall like a birch, growing up, 15, growing older. And my son, flamboyant as maple, 20, visits from college and walks ahead of us, his steps springing, impatient to travel the woods of the earth. Now I watch them from a pile of leaves beside this clabbered house in Ann Arbor, across from the school where they learn to read as their shapes grow small with distance, waving. And I know that I diminish, not them, as I go first into the leaves, taking the way they will follow, Octobers and years from now. This year the poems came back when the leaves fell, Kicking the leaves, I heard the leaves tell stories, remembering and therefore looking ahead and building the house of the dying. I looked up into the maples and found them, the vowels of bright desire. I thought they'd gone forever, while the birds sang, I love you, I love you, 
and shook its black head from side to side and its red eye with no lid through years of winter cold as the taste of chicken wire, the music of cinder block. Kicking the leaves, I uncover the lids of graves. My grandfather died at 77 in March when the sap was running, and I remember my father 20 years ago coughing himself to death at 52 in the house in the suburbs. Oh, how we flung leaves in the air, how they tumbled and fluttered around us like slowly cascading water when we walked together in Hamden before the war, when Johnson's Pond had not surrendered to houses, the two of us, hand in hand and in the wet air, the smell of leaves burning, and in six years, I will be 52. Now I fall, now I leap and fall to feel the leaves crush under my body, to feel my body buoyant in the ocean of leaves, the night of them, night heaving with death and leaves, rocking like the ocean. Oh, this delicious falling into the arms of leaves, into the soft laps of leaves. Face down, I swim into the leaves, feathery, breathing the acrid odor of maple, swooping to long glides to the bottom of October, where the farm lies curled against winter, and soup steams its breath of onion and carrot onto damp curtains and windows, and past the windows I see the tall, bare maple trunks and branches, the oak with its few brown, weathery remnant leaves, and the spruce trees holding their green. Now I leap and fall, exultant, recovering from death, on account of death, in accord with the dead, the smell and taste of leaves again, and the pleasure, the only long pleasure, of taking a place in the story of leaves. It's a poem by Donald Hall, the great poet laureate of the United States from 2006 to 2007, um, a meditation on life and death and the beauty of nature and the endless cycle of life, a, uh, a deep poem in which leaves play many different parts. It's a pile to jump into. They uncover the history of life and death. It's a fascinating, fascinating poem from a great poet. So um, here's one more, or maybe I have time for two. These are going to have to be a little shorter, uh, but no less beautiful for the uh, shortness of their length. Here's one called Old Roses, and we'll see where we are. Old Roses. White roses, tiny and old, flare among thorns by the barn door. For a hundred years, under the June elm, under the gaze of seven generations, they lived briefly like this, in the month of roses, 
by the fields, stout with corn or with clover and timothy, making thick hay, grown over now with milkweed, sumac, paintbrush. Old roses survive winter drifts, the melt in April, August parch, and men and women who sniffed roses in spring and called them pretty as we call them now, walking beside the barn on a day that perishes. So in these languid summer months in New Hampshire, having uh, come through some mighty powerful heat that stilled everybody to a crawl, brought out aches and pains and the thirst and heat exhaustion, as we enjoy the bright sunny days of yet another summer that's soon to pass, and friends who have come and friends who have passed, and great poets who have come and great poets who have passed, leaving behind words, words that are evocative, words that, that, that touch our heart, that make us weep with their beauty. Words that are the stuff of our communication and the way we relate. We celebrate Donald Hall, the great New Hampshire poet, the great poet laureate, recipient of the National Medal on the Arts, and think of his beloved Eagle Pond and his life and his work, and we thank him, and I thank you. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at NH Talk Radio, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com. Thanks to our sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of Off the Record with Paul Hood.